everyone, and welcome to the Kajabi Edge podcast, where we talk to real entrepreneurs to give you an edge on Kajabi. I'm your host, Jared Lohman, Vice President of Customer Experience. And today we're joined by Justin Wealth, former executive operator and SaaS turned creator, building a portfolio of one-person businesses. That is a mouthful. How's it going today, Justin? It's going well, Jared. You did a great job. It's a pleasure to meet you. I practiced a lot leading up to this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I didn't. But um, this is... I, I love pointing out firsts uh, when it comes to the podcast. This is yet another first that I'm I'm particularly excited about. In this situation, when I found you, I actually ran into your content first, discovered you were a Kajabi customer, and I'm like, this is awesome. We need to get him on the podcast. So this is a first, like we've we've always done that in reverse order. So really excited to have you on here. I, I love uh just reading through your content, your blogs, all of your stuff. So I'm um, kind of to get started, I guess, to familiarize our listeners. Uh give us kind of like the 15-second elevator pitch of what it is you do. Yeah, I, I really work with people who already have professional skills. I help them identify those skills, develop those skills, and then monetize those skills online so that at some point, hopefully, they can leave their professional nine to five career uh, behind and take their side projects and turn them into full time projects. I love it. Yeah, this is this is dangerous, especially as I read it, because as I go through these interviews on the podcast, as you can imagine, like I'm constantly inspired by all of this incredible success and this incredible journey that our, our customers are going on. Um, and what I love about your content um, is like you're really focused in on both helping people kind of take that leap, but also you're very transparent with your numbers, your journey. In fact, very first post I ran into was your Twitter post, which I, I think you have pinned, um, but back from October where you kind of took us on that journey of leaving the corporate world, shared a little bit of your numbers and how you got there. So I guess what I'm interested in is like maybe just to kind of get started, take us on a little bit, like, I guess, give us the inside track on why it was you maybe left the corporate world. What were you thinking and what made you made you ultimately decide to take this leap? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I uh, graduated school in 03, spent the first six years in sales, and I was really bad at it. I actually had three jobs that I got fired from. Uh, I never hit a quota. I was not what you would call successful at all. Um, in 2009, I got sort of this lucky break and I ended up at an early stage SaaS company in New York City called ZocDoc. And for some reason, everything clicked for me. It was the people, the ecosystem, the product, my own maturity. And out of nowhere, sort of a light switch moment, I started to figure out who I was and in what kind of selling I could do and had a really good five-year career there. That business was extremely notorious for a hard work like culture, hard work ethic, long days, top performers. And I parlayed that into my first executive job in 2015. I became the VP of sales at a company called Patient Pop, small six-person business, pre-revenue. I was VP of sales of one person. And given my first shot, I grew that business uh, over 50 million in recurring in about four and a half years. And I brought some of that work ethic and culture over to Patient Pop. So when 2019 rolled around, I had been uh, in my role for four and a half years. I'm going on a decade of high growth SaaS, you know, hyper competitive, anxiety inducing, hard work ethic. And uh, I started to burn out. Like it, it all sort of started with a panic attack in late 2018 around Christmas time. Um, kind of one of those like really serious panic attacks where you don't know what's happening. Thought I was dying, 911, ambulance, whole thing. And it just sort of had me reevaluate where I was in life, like what I was driving towards, what my 
goals were, how I was spending my time. Um, so I started to think through building a life of, of what I would call more intention. And the first thing that I wanted to do was start to build something for myself. So I turned in my resignation as the VP of sales in January of 19. I stayed uh, at the business for another eight months until we had backfilled my role. And then I went out on my own. But that panic attack and that burnout was really sort of the, the, the first thing that happened that drove me into this sort of new lifestyle, if you will. Wow. Yeah. And it's certainly a perspective that we haven't, we haven't got on the show yet. I, I love, I, I love that we're kind of exploring something different because a lot of, a lot of people are coming from a sense of being locked into maybe a job that isn't like as I guess, glamorous as you will, as an executive in a SaaS company. So I guess tell us a little bit about like, maybe it was apparent to you because like that sounds really serious. Like there was no option, but like there had to be some, con- some concerns, some fear associated with letting go of that steady paycheck. Did you have a plan of attack in place? Uh, what, what were you thinking at that time? I started to build one. So um, folks who know me pretty well know that I'm, I'm a really systems and process driven person. You have to be when you're, when you're running big sales teams in, in SaaS. And so I started to bring some of the systems and processes that I had from my, my SaaS background into thinking through how I might create something of my own. There's a very, very simple traditional path for former SaaS executives. And that's to just jump into consulting, right? You can find a few clients in your space. I had a good name. I had knocked it out of the park on my first try. And, um, but nobody knew who I was, right? Like, yeah, Patient Pop is a cool business built to 50 million, but there are 100 million and 200 million and $500 million businesses. Like, what made me special? Why would someone spend their time hiring me as a consultant? So I created this hypothesis that attention would be my best friend, that just like going out and shining a spotlight on myself would be a really great way to grab some consulting clients. So I looked around at the ecosystem of like, where were people writing and creating attention? A lot of people I knew were writing on Twitter. It didn't feel right for what I was doing at the time. Most of my decision makers were on professional platforms. So I looked at LinkedIn. And when I looked at LinkedIn, it became really apparent that it was a resume job site with very little content creation. And so I thought, I'll attack this the way that I see a lot of creators attacking Twitter. And I think I might stand out here. So I spent those last 8 months at my job writing every day, sometimes twice a day, about building successful SaaS teams. And when I stepped away from my role on August 1st of 2019, I had a huge pipeline of consulting prospects. And I turned that into my first business. Amazing. Amazing. Well, um, I want to get like even just a little bit deeper into um, some of the specifics uh, that you've created in terms of... like I know you have some course offerings. You have the blog. Um, where did you get started, I guess, um, outside of you know producing content on LinkedIn? Like what was your first product that you monetized? Yeah. Well, my, my first product was myself was consulting and, and it, 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 I have this unique, oh, I think it's interesting, but maybe other people won't, but I have this unique sort of experience where I created a lot of content. I attracted a lot of SaaS CEOs and SaaS sales leaders who wanted to hire me for consulting. But as I continued to write to try and get more customers, something really interesting happened, which was I started getting a lot of followers on social media and they were like reaching out to me, not because of SaaS sales or consulting, but they're like, Hey, how do you write? How do you think about what topics to write about? How do you write copy? How do you you know, get more followers? How do you do all these different things? And I thought, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And so I was having lunch with a buddy of mine, Kevin Dorsey in LA. And I said, Hey, I think I'm going to build a sales course. And he said, everyone's building sales courses. Like, Why don't you build a course on how you're growing on LinkedIn? And so I said, Oh, that's kind of interesting. I didn't really want to be a LinkedIn guy. 
uh, or be known for that. But I went into my direct messages in all the questions. Like there were some questions about like how to build an SDR team and things like that. But most of the questions were this ones I just told you about, you know, how do you grow on LinkedIn? How do you get more followers? And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I think I could probably put a product together that just shows people how I think about content and write and things like that. So I put together the LinkedIn playbook in maybe early 2020 and it was 50 bucks. And I went out and sold $75,000 worth of it in 18 months. And I just thought that was the most unique and strange thing that I had stumbled upon at the time. And here I was now a SaaS consultant and a guy selling LinkedIn courses. And it was just sort of messy, but that was my very first product. I love it. And like, I imagine most of your audience actually came from those who were consuming your content on LinkedIn or was that a... Did you have to find a different funnel? No, that's exactly what happened. This weird thing happened where the CEOs and the high up executives came to me because I was writing educational content on software sales, SaaS sales. And they came through my consulting funnel. Whereas a lot of the young younger folks or maybe earlier in their career, the account executives, the managers, the sales development reps were like, Hey, you're building a really cool brand on LinkedIn. They're not looking for consulting, but I thought I should have an offering for these people. So I put together this course. I thought everyone could afford it at $50 or the majority of folks could afford it. And um, the account executives and the sales development reps and the managers started buying that and using it to build... Now At that time, what we called our own little personal brands. And so again, just sort of this weird bi-directional business that was tough to figure out at first glance. Okay. Okay. Well, I mentioned this earlier when we first kind of got started. Uh, I don't know like where Kajabi came into the journey. And normally we don't necessarily focus in on this too much, but I have to ask, like, how did you did you build your first course on Kajabi? Like what was the journey? How did you find us? It's a it's a long relationship. Um, in in I've dated Kajabi many times. Uh, this this most recent one is my favorite. I started with Kajabi because I read all these different experiences and it seemed to have everything, but I probably wasn't ready for it when I first started. Um, it had so many bells and whistles. I was it's so custom. I I had so many different things I was doing. I was so busy, uh, but I whipped up a landing page and started selling. Um, eventually, I sold through a cheap and easy solution. But as my business grew, I started to recognize that I was buying email automation over here and I was buying landing page software and I was using Zapier and I was building a website on a different platform and I was doing a newsletter on a different platform. And actually just about six months ago, I decided it's time to bundle my business into an all-in-one solution that can support everything that I'm doing, that I can keep track of all my customers, that I can have my newsletter, that I can do my email automation. And so on January 25th, of this year. Um, I rebooted up Kajabi. It was a big project, but I love the results. Absolutely worth it. Amazing. Well, like I said, we don't normally go down that path, but um, I, I want to understand like the question that I'm asking, the question that I think our listeners would be asking. And I think you're pretty transparent and clear about a lot of this in the content, but I'd like to go even a little more in depth on like, some of the challenges and the hurdles maybe that you faced, like actually getting this up and running, like actually producing a digital product, like consulting mm-hmm. has like kind of carried you through, but like getting a digital product off the ground. Yeah. I'm not what I would call super savvy around like video and editing. I don't know how to do any of that. And I really don't want to know how to do any of that. I'm not interested in that one bit. And whereas most courses that I see are like really professionally produced and edited, I wanted to take a different approach. And that was hard. I wanted to be like, Hey, I didn't rent a private plane to sit in to look cooler or richer than I am. I'm not going to rent an office in Manhattan to pretend like I'm more important than I am. I'm going to shoot this video on Zoom in my office, my first one in LA, my 
my second one in Nashville. And I'm not going to edit this. They're going to be one take. That's it. So if I screw up, like we're just going to work through it. And so doing those one takes became really, really hard. And it got really frustrated because I'd be 13 minutes into a video and I would say something that I wish I didn't say. (laughs) And I would get frustrated with myself and I would stop and I would start over. And so my wife would be like, I'm going to go into a different room or I'm going to leave the house because she could hear me getting frustrated. That was a really big challenge for me. I think a, a second challenge is I'm not a professional professional in terms of learning design. So um, I don't really, I didn't really know how to structure a, a, a course, an educational course. I'm not a teacher. Uh, I'm a sales leader. So I had a little bit of that background of training folks, getting people up to speed. But one thing that I was lucky about is that I am relatively detail-oriented. I have just brought that from my previous role. And my goal was to make it as easy as possible. So I thought... How did I learn all this stuff? Went back in time, thought through how I came across the different things that helped me grow on LinkedIn, laid that out, sort of what I thought of as the customer journey, and then backed into that filled out each major chapter with the lessons that I thought were applicable, broke each lesson down into action plans. And my course mantra is really practical and tactical. It's not high level. It's not strategic. It's like, here are the things you should actually do. When you finish my course, you'll know exactly what those things are. So some challenges, but for the most part, really enjoyed the process. I'm really interested, like jumping around a little bit, but now that you're further downstream, you've got a successful course launch. Um, and I know you have tons of reviews on your site, but like, what are some of your favorite successes? success stories that have came out of this? Yeah. My favorites are... There's two types. Um, Folks, like I'm thinking right now of a guy, Brandon Fluherty, like people that write me and say, I was also in a nine to five grind. I was also feeling really uh, anxious. I was feeling down. I was feeling stressed. Like I wasn't eating well. I was drinking too much, eating too much food. Like my life was falling apart, right? My job was good, but like something went to the back burner and I bought your course and like I started writing on LinkedIn and it took me some time, but now I'm at 30,000 followers and I just launched a high ticket course and I made $100,000. And it's like, whoa, that's pretty cool, right? Someone just took and they might be making 300k and suddenly they just made an extra you know yeah. one third of their their overall total earnings and that's that's pretty impactful other stories i love are when folks are like bought a new house increased my mortgage price from 1500 to 3500 went out bought your course started writing on linkedin put together a little offering that's $35 and i'm making an extra 2k covering my new mortgage like that's super cool cuz that's how i think about courses it's not like can i make a million dollars it's how do i start by paying off a piece of software then how do I pay my cell phone bill? Then how do I pay my car payment? Then my mortgage? And then how do I turn it into a living? And I love those stepwise stories where folks come and tell me, paid off my cell phone bill. And then two years later, they're like, paid off my mortgage. Like that, Those are really, really cool stories that I love hearing. And I get one of those at least you know once every other week or so. Amazing. I know you have uh, one addition, I believe. You have one additional product as well, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. The other product I have is called... My first product now is called the LinkedIn Operating System. It's the new an improved version of my original product from back in 2020. And my newest product is called the Content Operating System. And this all came out of sort of serendipity, which was I was on a really popular webinar uh, with a group of uh, digital internet writers called Ship 30 for 30, uh, hosted by Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole. We had a few hundred folks on the webinar 
and they were asking me, how do you write? And so I shared my screen and I started going through my system and my system is very uh, templatized. It's very curated. And as I was walking through my system, I could see people reacting. Like I can see some eyes getting big, people nodding their head, looking at each other. And then the host, who's a pretty darn well-known internet writer said, I love this. I've never seen anything like this. I love it. And I thought to myself, okay, well, if these are the reactions I'm getting in front of really great internet writers, what's the average writer who just started a couple of weeks ago going to think about this? And so I thought, oh, better put this inside a course. So about a week later, I like spec that all out uh, and put it together in about three weeks. I usually time box my course offerings. And 21 days later, I had a course, launched it, and it was one of my most successful launches ever. Amazing. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I really want to like hone in on like that point you just made. Uh, you time box your courses. Um, like for anyone listening, like do you have a framework? Do you, is it based upon the size of the course? Like how how do you actually ultimately decide upon what that time box looks like? Well, the first thing that I decided is what how I wanted to approach the market. And I believe that there is a myth around what most people call the masterclass. And I think because there's a myth, and what I mean by that is I don't think most people can charge that. I think most people, you know, follow Sam Ovens and Dan Locke and all these guys who, you know, have these five thousand dollar price points and, and kind of push that. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, if you don't have any attention, good luck selling a twelve hundred dollar course, right? So the first thing that I did was I decided everything that I put together, regardless of how many followers I got, was going to be relatively affordable because I like high access, high word of mouth. You know, I want someone saying something good about my course somewhere online every single day. Once I decided on price point, you have to recognize there's a trade-off at a low price point. If you sell something for $150, the likelihood that people complete it is less likely than if they spend $5,000. So the next thing I thought about was if they're going to spend $150, I want to make this thing short. So my goal is 60 minutes. I want to tell them that they can put two 45-minute blocks in their calendar and knock it out the minute they start. A little extra time for pausing, taking notes, re-reviewing, something like that. So I think about, all right, 60 minutes. And then I break that down to, okay, how can I deliver value in 60 minutes? It's not by teaching you everything about everything. It's taking you from point A to point B. So for example, on my content operating system, in 60 minutes, you are going to learn how to go from a struggling internet writer to having a perfect system for writing better, faster content at scale. That's the only thing that you're going to learn. So once I have sort of that 60-minute framework, it allows me to time box it into a shorter period of time, say 21 days. And I'm a big fan and believer of Parkinson's law, which is however much time you give yourself to do something, that's how long it will take. So I like 21 days. I give myself that time and by golly, it's always done in 21 days. And so that's why I choose it. I love it. This is such a such a cool perspective on this. Like in addition to like that low price point in terms of you mentioned a known factor is people are much less likely to complete as compared to when they invest significantly. But another factor that comes to mind is just like there's a layer of accountability that comes with that due to the mass exposure. Like there's no hiding behind the fact that you may have 10 or, you know, 10 or 15 people taking your $5,000 course. You're actually exposing that to a big audience. 
did anything come from like I mean I I haven't I haven't actually got to see any of your content yet. I'd love to check it out at some point. But like, did anything come from like did you feel like you had an additional like need to like really deliver given that you are pricing at such an accessible price point? Yes, um, but I think that is I think that's part of maybe who I am as a person. Like I look back at my career. First six years was a failure, and then I isolate from twenty nine to basically thirty eight years old. Nine nine ten years of of really good performance. And when I think about that performance, I think about the brand that I built by delivering high quality work. And I knew that if I was going to transition out of my executive role and into a role as a creator, that that exposure to a large audience would mean there'd be a lot of commotion about whether the course is any good, whether it delivers results. And so like I wanted to over-deliver. I wanted to deliver $15,000 worth of you know material on an $150 price point. And so instead of building a course, as I mentioned earlier, that's like theoretical, high level, in the clouds, how to think about things, like mine is an actionable, practical, and tactical course. And so I wanted to make sure that when people completed the course, they could literally pull up a checklist, walk down it, know exactly what to do, do it, and see results. And so that drove me to put as much good content in as short of a period of time into this course. If you look at the reviews for both of my courses, it's pretty obvious that I I think people really enjoyed what was in it, especially for the price point. And that was my goal because I've got someone saying something nice about one of my courses somewhere online every single day. And, and not to mention the fact, I, I don't know if we've brought up the name yet, but like you have the, the Saturday Solopreneur blog. Is that the right name? Yeah. So like the amount of free content and like quality free content that you produce, like I imagine the expectations associated with a paid version are, are already really high for anyone who's coming in through like any channels where you've delivered, uh, you know, where they've consumed your free content. For sure. But something of note here, which is, <clears throat> I think a lot of folks create a lot of pretty good... First of all, a lot of people create a lot of great free content. But I think the the mindset that a lot of people have is like, I'll give some of my good stuff away for free. And then the really good stuff will be behind the paywall, right? In the course and the product and my consulting business, whatever. I do not believe in that. So here's a newsflash. Everything that's in my courses, you can find online somewhere for free. If you want to spend 15 hours going through three years and 2,500 pieces of unique content in articles, you can find it somewhere. right? But it's at a price point where you're really paying for access, aggregation, you're paying for action steps, and all those things are generally worth $150 to save you know, 10 to 15 hours of your time searching around the internet. And I think that people are always amazed to say, oh, don't you, aren't you worried you're going to give away this stuff for free? So far, so good, right? Maybe, maybe one day I'll eat my words, but, but so far, so good. Time is money. Time is money. I guess uh, what I'm interested next uh, is kind of like you launched this course. What was it? A little over a year ago? No, my my LinkedIn operating system. Boy, I don't even remember. Maybe eight months ago. Maybe eight or nine months ago. And the content operating system three months ago. Not even. Okay, so then not quite a year. Um, yeah. Well, uh, that kind of. I guess that uh, switches up my next question a little bit. But I guess I'm interested in like you're still in the fairly early phases of having like a product launched. Like I'm curious, like what happened over the course of like you know, maybe the last three months to now, are you seeing like continued traction? What are you doing to like maintain um, like continual growth on the the courses that you have released? 
Yeah. The first thing that I did, well, there's a couple things. First thing that I did was once I had crossed about 200,000 followers on LinkedIn, uh, I decided that it was time to start diversifying my where I kind of created content. So I had a Twitter account that was at 4,000 followers, had been for uh, 11 years, maybe. And... I never wrote on Twitter. I wrote here and there to try something. And then I didn't get any traction. I got embarrassed and, you know, like, like anyone on a new platform and, and kind of stopped, but I decided, all right, it's time to, to diversify. So I took a look at all the content I had that I had produced on LinkedIn over the last three years and thought there's gotta be a lot of stuff in here. That's going to play really well on Twitter. And I committed to writing every single day on Twitter for 365 days. And so that was about 230 some days ago. And I've written generally two to three times every day. Um, some of it is my old LinkedIn content. A lot of it is brand new as I'm learning a lot about Twitter. So I went from four to about 113,000 followers in the last five and a half months. So I grew really rapidly on Twitter. I started the newsletter, which deplatformed my audience from zero subscribers to almost 30,000. And that's been in the last 19 weeks. Um, so now I have Twitter, LinkedIn, the newsletter. And then I use features inside of some of the publishing tools. I use a tool called Hype Fury. I use a tool called uh, Publer, which helps sell my course really passively by attaching a promotion to a first comment on link, uh, LinkedIn or by doing an auto plug after a tweet reaches a thousand likes or another milestone. And so it continues to drive those courses and get eyeballs on them from people who have still never seen them before. On this, At the same token, I get a lot of messages. I just got one from a guy named Scott Baer the other day who said, this is the 100th time you've written a post about buying your LinkedIn operating course or insinuated the course is available and I'm finally buying it today. And I just want to tell you that I love the fact that you keep talking about it because you finally turned me into a customer. And sometimes it takes a hundred times. And I was like, there's people out there that want to buy this. So the course is sold really, really uh, effectively about 18 to 20 copies a day, still eight to nine months later. Amazing. Um, uh, like two questions on this. Like one, like what is, what has been the, like, I guess the, the value that you've seen most from taking the time to do this, to post every single day? Is it in growing that audience number? Has it been directly correlated to course sales? Like what's, what's the value? Well, there's a lot of value. Um, it would be really easy to say that I make a living that way. I think that's a, a pretty obvious value, but that's not quite the top value that I get. There are two other pieces. One piece is I've become connected to some really, really brilliant people. So people that I've looked up to in the creator space over time, who I thought, boy, these people are so popular. They're doing such a great job. I will probably never get to engage with them, have a conversation, be on their podcast and fast forward you know, a few 10, 12 months, uh, I've met nearly every person on both platforms that I, I looked up to. And that's really cool. Not just because I've gotten a chance to meet them and because, um, you know, I've been on their podcast, but it opens up a world of opportunities. I think luck is really the outcome of strong relationships. And so my quote unquote luck has improved, which is really nice. I think the other thing is I've met some really cool people because I built a private community called Audience and Income, where I've got 600 community members from 61 countries across the world. And my wife and I have gone to Lisbon, Madrid, New York, San Francisco, Mexico City, and gone down and visited our community members in person to throw happy hours. We're hanging out on Slack. That has been a really, really cool sort of outcome of, of writing on social media a lot. And, uh, and it's cool to see when they sort of 
maybe this isn't the right word, but they kind of graduate from not really knowing how to do it to figuring it out and starting to build their own businesses online. That's that's really that's value to me, right? Because I think one day they'll, you know, they'll probably look back and remember that experience really fondly. Oh yeah, I love that. It's like you went from aspiring to be a part of the club to actually running the club, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's like a there's like a, a small club and you gotta you gotta crack your way into it, which is really difficult. But uh, I feel like I'm maybe headed in the right direction. Let's say that. Yeah. So question number two on this one. Um, when it comes to like total number of followers, um, like audience size, like what's critical, what was critical mass for you? Like, what do you need to actually begin to monetize it? I don't know that it's necessarily a follower number. Um, I mean, I happened to launch the LinkedIn playbook, my first course back when I had about 20,000 followers. That was a lot on LinkedIn in 2020. And that's still a lot today, by the way, but but it's kind of the equivalent of like 50k maybe today as more and more creators kind of flood in the LinkedIn and they've turned it into more of a creator marketplace. So I don't think about it as followers. I think about it as becoming known for one thing. Like whether you have a thousand followers or five thousand followers or eight thousand followers, if you are the guy or the girl or the person who is known for one very specific thing and being the best at that very specific thing online, you can build a business. I met a guy the other day who runs marketing for real estate companies, I think, that are 50 million in ARR or above. And he does all of his marketing through Instagram, is 500 followers, and he's running a $3 million business through Instagram. And I just thought that's pretty impressive. So it's less about a follower number. Although I think if you're looking for milestones, reaching those 5K, those 10K, those 15K milestones definitely allows you to get enough eyeballs on your content where you can offer up a lightweight, you know, affordable, valuable course to at least make your first few dollars online. And once you make your first few dollars online, your mind kind of changes and you realize what's possible. And so I love to kind of shoot at some of those early goals so that we can get the mindset rolling in the right direction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, um, like... I think you you termed it as like you got a little bit embarrassed about some of the content. Like one of the things that I'm really curious about is like how many iterations did it take to like find the the one piece that actually like th- that identity that you've created for yourself. Like how, how many times did you have to go through different phases to where you're at to now right now? A, a lot. I still do it. Like um, man, I've been through so many different iterations because I've been a SaaS person, I've been a sales leader, I've been a content creator. A LinkedIn guy, a personal brander, a solopreneur, an entrepreneur. And so there's like all these different sort of words that mean slightly different things to slightly different people. And so I'm going through probably my 20th or 30th different iteration of my brand currently. And I think that's what's really fun about this job is I don't really decide that. The audience decides that. And as I see what resonates with the audience, Like I generally cut out what doesn't work. I double down on what does. And I listen to the questions and comments that I get from my prospective followers. So it's sort of a combination of what am I hearing? What am I seeing in the market? And where do I believe that I think my brand should go? But that is a constant work in process. And I'm actually like going through that process right now, three and a half years into this. Uh, I'm asking this for our listeners, but secretly, I'm I'm asking this for me too. (laughs) Because I feel this like... uh, I think about like authenticity and like I always struggle with like like if I'm going to put myself out there as the 
let's just say, you know, I'm vice president of customer experience and I'm going to be the expert on customer experience, but one day and the next day I'm the expert on whatever. How do you, how do you like work through, I guess the, the authenticity factor when you're iterating through your personal brand? Well, I think authenticity is really misunderstood and maybe some people will hate this, but oh well. Um, People always say authenticity in marketing is really important. I partially agree with that. But when you watch a Budweiser commercial, there are guys with six-pack abs playing volleyball on the beach. That's not authentic, right? When you when you look at almost any commercial, it is a misrepresentation of how the product works or how the service works. So I don't always think that authenticity is, is the right way to go. Um, if you are authentically boring, then you should try not to be boring. If you authentically um, are mean... You should try and be nice, right? So those are some things that I think about around authenticity. I think what people mean about authenticity is trying to authentically help people in a way that you know that you can. And so for me, authenticity means staying on brand. And for me, on brand means helping people grow businesses online. And so you won't find me talking about um, my favorite food. You won't see me posting pictures about my vacation. I won't be saying happy Mother's Day. I will tell my mom happy Mother's Day, but I'm not going to post about it on LinkedIn. I'm not going to post about it on Twitter. If you come follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter, you are going to learn how to turn your social media following into a business online. That's what you're going to learn. And you're going to learn it every single solitary day. I'm never going to deviate from that. Some people think that's boring. That is totally fine. What I have found is that by staying on message and authentically on message, which is helping folks, that people have gotten to know the person that I am through how I help them. And so that's how I think about authenticity. It's slightly different than just throwing your whole self out there all the time. And I read from folks just be authentically yourself and write every day and it'll, it'll all work out in the end. That's just not true, right? We see people online writing every day, being their authentic selves, getting absolutely zero traction. It's a nice thing to say and it sounds really good. It doesn't always work. So what I would say is find out what you want to talk about and how you want to help people get known for that very, very specific thing and stay on message. I love it. Um, I'm going to ask you a, a loaded question. The question that we all want, we all want the silver bullet. Uh, I, I want your, your version of this. And I think you give a lot of this away once again, like in all of your free content, but like maybe just like in a little bit of a retrospective, looking back on your journey, um, starting eight ish months ago, nine ish months ago, when you kind of started on this, like, what would you do differently? What are kind of some of the keys for anyone else who's thinking about taking this leap that you would want to hone in on, focus on any key learnings? Yeah. I think one of the things I released my first course at 20,000 followers and it was cool to make some some income. And it was cool to make that first dollar online as I talked about. I wish I would have waited. And I don't I don't care that I didn't because things worked out in the end and like I wouldn't change my past history because I just think that's a weird thing to to want to do. Um but when people come to me and they say, I want to sell a digital product. I want to create a course. I want to build a consulting business. I always say, are you known for one thing? Are you known for the thing that you want to consult for? Are you known for the thing very specifically that you want to build a product for? Do you have a decent audience that wants that thing from you that have said to you, Hey, Jared, man, I wish you would create this thing, right? That's where my, my stuff started. was, I wish you could tell me how you write. I wish I could learn how you do this on LinkedIn. Like Once you start hearing those things on a regular basis, it's a great time to test the market, but don't build anything yet. Go out and pre-sell an idea, throw up a landing page, right? put up an offer, and see if people buy it. If people buy it, build it. If people don't, don't build it. 
because you're going to waste a lot of time, 30 days, 45 days, if it takes that long, building this product that nobody wants. And that is the most common thing that I see happening to people who want to shortcut the journey. So I would say, play the long game. Like Try and build that brand and that growth and that audience first. And if you can get that attention, if you can build those distribution channels and people are actively just really hungry for the problem that you solve and they want your solution, that's when you want to release or pre-sell. And, and I, I just would encourage people to, to play that long game. I think that's the best thing that you can do. I love that answer. Well, I'd like to kind of like wrap this up with, I guess, getting an idea of what's next on the horizon for you. Any upcoming launches, new courses, new content that we should all be aware of? Well, you'll see my content every day on LinkedIn. I, I uh, publish every morning at 7.15 Central Time and usually again around noon Central Time. You'll see me two to three times a day on Twitter and interacting with a bunch of you know fun people over there. Um, I'll continue to be writing The Saturday Solopreneur, which is a, a newsletter that I send out every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Central, which gives you one audience or business growth tip that you can read in less than four minutes guaranteed and take action on it. I'll be continuing to grow those things. And 2022 for me is really about audience growth. It's less about making more money or building more products. I really, really want to focus on uh, growing sort of that, that audience on multiple platforms. So you might see me in some video format a little bit later in 2022, but uh, I want to do that. And then the thing that I'd like to do, and again, it's not a moneymaker for me. I, I don't care if it breaks even or even lose a little bit of money. But now that COVID is, by the way, not over. I know it's not over, but travel restrictions are eased and things are a little bit back to normal. Um, I would like to see some people in person. That would be really great. You know, we've, we've all been sort of shut off for, for a long time. So I'd love to throw an event again, even if 10 people come, like I'd love to just get out and like, hang out, have a few drinks, you know, get to know each other personally, because I've been interacting with these folks for three years on LinkedIn and Twitter, and it's time to go out and meet some folks in person. I love it. I love it. Well, um, of course we'll include this in the show notes as always, but just so you have the chance to say here, what's the best way for people to find out more about you if they're interested. Really easy. I've got a, a website. It's justinwelsh.me. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-W-E-L-S-H dot M-E. Awesome. Well, again, completely vouching for that content. Like jump in there, go explore. Um, check out that Saturday Solopreneur blog. Um, I've been scouring through that. Can't wait to also check out some of your paid premium content as well, Justin. But again, thank you for taking the time to uh, sit with our listeners today on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jerry. You're a really good host. All right. Well, that is all we have for you this week. We will look forward to chatting with you all next week on the Kajabi Edge podcast.